This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, it's Cruise Control with me, Ali Johan, and joined by our automotive specialist, Mr. Daniel Fernandez from DSF.my. Hello, Daniel. Hello, Mr. Ali Johan. Thank you for the rousing welcome. Ha, we've got automotive news to bring to you, local launches, uh, some news from Japan at the recently concluded Tokyo Mobility Show. Speaking of these new concept cars at the Mobility Show, we also wonder if EV sales are slowing down globally, as well as a used car guide, uh, the Audi A3 1.4. It's quite interesting that you chose this. Why do we settle on the Audi A3? You know, someone actually contacted me and said, you know, I love this A3. Let me do some research. And that's how the review came out. About seven to eight-year-old uh, used sedan, right? The Audi. Um, yes. And that's all coming up on the programme, but we'll bring you some headlines first. Starting off with BYD, of course, BYD making waves in Malaysia and they are expanding. The EV company opened two new showrooms in Malaysia this week uh, with, you know, six more coming very soon. Looks like BYD are intent on chalking up more numbers with this expansion, Daniel. Exactly. So, you know, you have to go out to reach the consumer nowadays. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to be in, uh, you know, major areas like Penang, KL and uh, Johor Bahru. Mm. So what BYD is doing, of course, they're un- under Saim Darby Group. They are taking it out. They're going to all the states. Sadly, I've not heard anything for Klantan and Trungano and Perlis yet. Right. Okay, Perlis is maybe a bit too small because you've got Kadar there. But I'm hoping that they'll go to Klantan and Trungano. I know a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, nobody there is going to buy electric car and everything else. But maybe if you had a showroom, uh, you might start seeing people buying the car and then they can charge at home. But anyway, that's another question for another day. Now comes BYD expanding into all these areas. They opened a new one under Go Brothers in Ipoh. Now Go Brothers, as we know them, they're also very big in the motorcycle business. Plus, they have an Audi and Volkswagen dealership. So they've added BYD to their uh, lineup. They have a lot of experience. They're already in the automotive landscape. Mm. They also have a Toyota and Lexus dealership in Juru. So I think they'll do quite well, you know, in Ipoh. More models coming, I, I guess? Yes, there's another BYD model coming in very soon. I can't share the details. Even though everyone already knows about it, it's already been on the internet. Right. It's a sports sedan. It's, it's bigger. Mm. It's more powerful. It's a little bit more expensive. It's a direct competitor to the Tesla Model 3. BYD expanding rapidly in Malaysia. Um, to some launches, uh, this week, NASA Italia delivered the first Maserati Spider MC20 Cielo. This is a racing sports car, Daniel, but it looks so futuristic. What is this it, car? It, so, Maserati have been building, you know, great cars and everything else, but their sports cars have seen a little bit of a slowdown since the, the previous models. But now there's sort of a revival, and the Cielo is one of those revivals. And if you look at it, the lines of this car, you know, Maserati was was uh, part of Ferrari long time ago. Now they're part of Stellantis. Uh, it's a different automotive group. If you look at the lines of this car and you took away the Maserati bridge, it could be a Ferrari. I, I look at this car and I say to myself, this looks even better than current Ferraris. Price is huh. from 1.2 million before local duties and taxes. Oof. 50% more than some EVs. True. So if it was an EV, it'll be 1.2 million because there's no tax on EVs. It's not an EV, there'll be taxes. So there's a good chance that the owner of this car, the first owner in Malaysia, is going to park it in Langkawi, let it age for a little while, 
pay a low, low, a lower tax and bring it back to Semenanjung. This is what a lot of rich, rich Malaysians do to save money on tax, which is something that you and me can't do. For 1.2 billion ringgit, it comes uh, with three years standard warranty coverage with no mileage restriction. And I think that's quite uh, handy. You know, when they say no mileage restriction, actually, uh, you think about it. Lah. How many people will actually use this every day, a car like this? Mm. You know, even even other supercars, they don't use it every day. That is why you see all these supercars, the local dealerships will say, no, no problem, we'll give you unlimited mileage because they know you will not consume that mileage. Now, if I was the owner of this car, I will use it every day. Yeah. The Maserati Cielo. Uh, check it out on dsf.my for more beautiful photos. Uh, it has this thing where you can retract the roof and it changes colour from clear to opaque at the touch of a button. So... That itself screams luxury. And nice, huh? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, and speaking of um, expansion, we were talking about BYD earlier. BMW Malaysia are also expanding their range of the locally assembled top-range SUVs. And they have announced the return of the BMW X7. Exactly. And now they've got a special version of the X7. It's called the X-Drive 40i M Sport. Now, we know that the X7 is a huge SUV. I mm. mean, really big. But this latest version comes with even, you know, a little bit more trim, a little bit more toys to persuade buyers to come back into the showroom and not look at their electric car offerings because this is a pure petrol-driven vehicle with a smile hybrid system working for it. Right. So it's got an inline six engine, okay, which is what BMWs are famous for, which is what BMWs stand for, which is what... We like to hear when we drive a BMW that inline six, you know, a little bit of a rumble, you know, at, mm. at, at, at the right revs. Anyway, I'm nostalgic about this, okay? <laughs> so it's got 380 horsepower, 540 newton meters of torque. Now, this mammoth of an SUV will do the 0 to 100 dash in 5.8 seconds. Good, pretty good. Right. This vehicle is local assembled in Kulim, in the BMW plant. If it wasn't, the price will be much higher. So, hmm. by local assembling it, adding a few local uh, you know, features and, and parts in it, the price is just 718800 How much was so it going it, for the last time? It was closer to 800000 plus. Okay. I haven't seen the X7 on the road for so long actually, but this new one with a new bigger grille, uh, I think the same design language as the iX series as well, they, they look similar. They look similar, but the iX, of course, doesn't have a real grill. It's just, a, <laughs> you know, because it's a full electric car. The EV screen type of grill. Yes, yes, yes. Right, right. Which a lot of people have started liking. Initially, they didn't like it. They were very ah. angry about it. But now, they're all saying it's beautiful. There we go. I mean, you know, the only constant is change, as they say. And I think BMW, um, with this petrol offering here, are also trying to satisfy uh, non-EV markets. Well, not everybody wants an EV. I mean, mm. a whole group of people out there who says the EV is not yet ready for me. That's number one. Number two, there's a lot of people out there who will buy an EV, but they also want two or three petrol-powered vehicles in their garage. Right. When you have this kind of money to buy expensive cars, you generally have more than two or three cars in your garage. So the EV owners that I know, EV owners that I've seen, which I mean, you know, when you drive past some, some very mature neighborhoods, some expensive neighborhoods, you look into their garage. You know, I'm a busybody, so I like to see what kind of cars people have. You normally see one EV and a whole range of petrol cars. I've not seen a house yet with two electric cars. Hmm, interesting. Right, so that's the BMW X7, locally assembled in Kulim 
for 718,800 ringgit. Now we're going to go to some global news. Recently at the Tokyo Mobility Show, a few brands showcased their concept cars, right? And we're going right. to go through a few of them here. The one that struck us the most is the Mitsubishi DX concept, which is an MPV, but it is so futuristic, Daniel. Yes. So, Tokyo Mobility is a show that comes around every two years. Mm. It used to be a huge show before COVID. Um, of course, COVID reduced a lot of it. But the fact is, this year, it was still not that groundbreaking. And I'll tell you why. Because there were too many concepts being shown. Concepts that look like they'll never go into reality. So we decided to pick out a few vehicles that we thought could become real. Because why? They look very close to production ready. They also made a lot of sense in terms of our current market segments in, in Asia and, and Europe. Yeah. And also some of them were revivals of certain nameplates that the brands were famous for. For example, this DX concept yeah. is actually a revival of the Mitsubishi Delica. I don't know if you remember the Delica. It's a van. It's a van. Mm. It used to be a commercial van that became a, a little bit of a passenger van. Not, not a, a high-end MPV, a simple van. And then it grew in size and became a four-wheel drive van. Mitsubishi was one of the first to come out with this kind of van. That means a normal passenger van with a four-wheel drive drivetrain at the bottom. It was very popular globally, but not in Malaysia because of its price. And I remember at one point, uh, a few years ago, there, there, there was a revival of you know trying to find this old Delica 4x4s and, and restoring them. In fact, a couple were, were in the market and they were selling them for like 80, 90, even 100,000 ringgit. But I mean, this is fully restored. If you see them, they look a little bit odd, but they look very futuristic. They also said that this is going to be supporting the Asia Cross Country Rally. So that means it's going to be a reality. Mm. Now, the next one that really was the talk of the show, I mean, everybody was talking about it, was from Mazda. Yes. They unveiled a concept car called the Iconic SP. People were expecting an MX-5, a new generation MX-5, but Mazda decided to do a compact EV sports car. Right. So this is somewhere between a revival of, for me, for me, the revival of the RX-7. Mm -hmm. Because when they discontinued the RX-7, which the last one was the Ifini, they brought out the RX-8, which was a four-door. Of course, he had suicide doors at the back, but it was a four-door. So it didn't do quite well and it didn't get enough, you know, recognition as a as a sports car. And then Mazda sort of just kept quiet about it and then concentrated on the MX-5. Now, if you look at this, it's bigger than an MX-5. They're not calling it an MX-5. So I think it's a revival, for me, it's a revival of the Ifini RX-7. And they're going to make it electric, so they've given it a new name. Ah, right. Now, if you look at the lines of this car, curvaceous, very, very old school European, like, you know, the old Alfa Zacatos, old Ferraris, you know, the Ferraris, the 308s, you know. Right, right. You know, just now we mentioned the, the Maserati. This is the kind of design language that brings back a lot of emotion because why? It's not sharp, it's not angular, it's not like a little schoolboy drawing, you know. This is something which you need to really work your design features, you know. Yes. This car looks awesome. What's unique about it is this two-rotor rotary EV system. What is it? Yes. Rotary engines have been around for a long time, since the first Mazda RX-7 in the 1970s. Then they came out with the, you know, the second generation and then, of course, the third. Now, the rotary engine has always been a bit of a, uh, you know, they're very fast, mm. but they're not reliable and, you know, they, they, they sip a lot of fuel. So, in today's world, having a rotary engine is a big no-no unless they've reinvented 
the rotary engine. And I think Mazda has done that because they've managed to reinvent the petrol engine when they had Skyactiv, okay? So maybe they've done a reinvention of the rotary engine with maybe a hybrid system or, you know, some kind of, you know, regenerative system. But I think it might be an electric car with a rotary engine that charges it. Because rotary engines are very small. They're compact. They're basically half the size of most petrol engines. So you could actually fit a rotary engine in, say, the back of a car or the front of the car and then the battery system. That is basically just, you know, generating power to the battery to generate your drive system, if that makes sense. Yes. You know, so Mazda could be reinventing the way we think about low emissions. And, you know, you would trust Mazda to do these things. I mean, the design and this technology, they're always thinking about alternative ways. And because you're a very small car company, they're not huge like like Honda and Toyota and, mm. and uh, Nissan. So I think they can come up with all these innovative things because, you know, they're given a little bit more freedom, uh, the engineering department to, you know, to, to just try their luck, you know? Yeah, I do love the look of this iconic SP concept car by Mazda. Let's uh, hope that it arrives here when it comes to life properly, sure. right? And the other car, an old model that's being revived this time by Honda and it's the Honda Prelude concept also shown at the Tokyo Mobility Show recently. Now, this was a shock because there was no teasing image, there was no indication, there was no rumour about Honda bringing back the Prelude. We all thought the Prelude had, you know, seen its last day after the fourth generation and the fourth generation didn't do very well in Malaysia and also uh, most of uh, Asia. It did very well in America and Europe it was a long, sleek sports car kind of thing. Yeah. But it didn't have the right powertrain to compete with what was coming out of Europe at that time. And also the other Japanese were also scaling back on the sports car market because it wasn't very profitable. You know, the 350Z and the Nissan Silvias and all that. Here comes a brand new Prelude. And look at the shape of this car. It's beautiful. Just like the, like the Mazda, it's an awesome, curvaceous looking sports car. I wouldn't guess that it's a Honda from one look at it. Exactly, exactly. I was just about to say that. If you look at the image and you don't look at the badge, you'll think, could this be a smaller Maserati? You know, could this be something that's coming out of, say, even China? Because China has got a lot of little sports cars coming out right now. Exactly. You know? Mm. Now, but this is said to be a full electric car. So they have the electric powertrain. They're not going very big into it yet. So this could be maybe one of the little products that they're going to play with and you know take it to maybe Europe and maybe in America. But I don't think it's coming to Malaysia, sadly. Ah, okay. The same case with the Honda e not coming to Malaysia, even though I saw it in KL that day. Really, yeah. really beautiful. Just wondering, for like you know concept cars that are showcased at these uh, conferences, how many of them turn into real products? I mean, it's very hard to say. Like, you know, Geneva Motor Show, you'll see maybe a 30-70. In my past experience, maybe 30% will never see reality. Mm. 70% will do it. Frankfurt Motor Show, uh, Paris Motor Show used to have maybe like also a 30-70. Now, with, with the Japanese, um, over the years, you'll see almost like a 45-55, you know, because they had a lot of concepts. I remember one year, I, w I went to the Daihatsu stand. There was only one real car. Everything else was a concept, you know? Mm. This is because they want to show their creativity and everything else. But we don't really get it into the mass market because a lot of these concepts might end up in production not as they are. Right. They Maybe the engineering, the software, the technology is taken into the next generation of a certain model. Mm. But the design is not taken because 
maybe the buying public is not ready yet for that outlandish yeah. design, you know? Right, yeah. Because, yeah, from from what we've spoken here, these are all revivals of previous models by these companies, right? Mitsubishi is trying to revive the Delica, as well as the Honda Prelude, which we saw in the 80s, now going to yes. come back as an EV. So, anyway, so that's um, the headlines in the automotive world for this week. And we're going to come back with a discussion about more EV and see if their sales are slowing down globally. That seems to be a trend and we're going to speak about it a bit more right here on Cruise Control, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9 is Cruise Control with me, Ali Johan, and Daniel Fernandez. Thank you for sticking with us. Um, BYD got new showrooms in Malaysia and more to come. You know, we, we heard about the new BMW X7, Maserati Cielo, and some concept cars at the Tokyo Mobility Show. Now, this week, we heard some news in the US markets and also in the European markets about Ford. And as well as uh, in Germany, Volkswagen are also slowing down on their EV production. What's happening here? I don't really know the the economics of all this, but this is my analysis based on what I've read, mm. what I've uh, seen in person, and you know, from what I understand, that's happening uh, with a lot of this. Uh, you know, this big push for electric cars yeah. has allowed a lot of Europeans to gain simply because the different governments have given incentives to purchase electric cars. So from what I understand, like, you know, in America, certain states, let's say California and all that, if you buy an electric car like Tesla to encourage the ownership of electric cars, they give you a rebate. Whether it's an income tax rebate or a cash rebate or, you know, a trading rebate or whatever. So for a lot of people, it made sense to take an electric car financially, not because of emissions and I want to go green. Okay? Right, right. Of course, there are people who want to go green, but there's still a lot of people who said financially, it makes a lot of sense. Now, in Europe, say, for example, the Scandinavian countries, especially Norway, they've been flying the emissions-free flag for the longest time because they don't have mining. They don't do factories. They don't do production. They don't do any kind of thing. They just buy, buy, buy. Now, it's easy for them to take out all these rules because why? It's not on their land that the mining and the production and the factories are. It's all coming from China and the rest of the world, Africa and South America and all. So it's easy for them to say, we want this. And we demand this. So they give their car buyers a lot of incentives to own electric cars. So Tesla is like number one there. Volkswagen electric cars are number two. Number three, you have Audi electric cars, Porsche, Taycan, uh, BMWs, Mercedes. All these cars are selling very well in Norway, Scandinavian countries also included uh, because of this huge tax incentive from the government. Now, in Germany, there is a tax incentive also. Uh, France, there was a tax incentive with the Renault Zoe. The Nissan Leaf sold very well. Not so much on the the premium cars because France, the tax incentive is not that favorable to uh, premium electric cars, which makes sense. You're supposed to give tax incentive to lower price electric cars. But never mind, we won't go into that right now. Politics of this region is changing right now. So I think a lot of them are removing this incentive slowly. Mm. At the same time, there are brands like Tesla who started from ground zero as an electric car company. So when you start from ground zero, your R&D costs, your technology costs all, by now, it's already getting lower and lower and lower. And your production cost is getting lower. That is why every few months or every few weeks, you see Tesla announcing price cuts, price cuts. They are not having price cuts because they can't sell cars. They're having price cuts because they are forcing 
other traditional car manufacturers out of the market, out of the electric car market. So people like Ford, Volkswagen, Mercedes, BMW, they are still producing two types of vehicles. They're building ICE vehicles. In fact, no, three. ICE vehicles, hybrid vehicles, plug-in hybrid vehicles, and also electric cars. So my analysis says this. When you have multiple factories building multiple types of powertrains and vehicles, you have a lot of cost. Mm. And when you have a lot of cost, you can't be giving heavy discounts because you're not just playing in one market. Now, with, with Tesla, they're just playing in one market. So it's easy for them to push these guys into a corner. And that's a very smart move. So it's not that they're discounting their cars for the wrong reason. Tesla is discounting their cars because they can do it, still make money, still improve on their quality and software and technology, but keep the competition out of the market. Right. Um, companies like Volkswagen have announced that they will suspend production of a couple of models of the EVs. It seems Ford are doing the same as well. They are doing this because they cannot compete with the pace of Tesla. Exactly. And you know, from what I understand right now, every electric car produced by both these companies, they're already losing a little bit of money, you know? The, the cost is being covered by the huge sales of ICE vehicles. And, you know, they've already invested so heavily in ICE vehicles, low emissions, mild hybrids. They cannot make the electric cars that cheap yet, simply because economies of scale. They're producing maybe 80-20 or 80-30 or 80-10 in terms of production. So the bigger portion is ICE cars, the smaller portion is electric cars. With Tesla, it's 100% electric cars. The movement for EV is gaining ground year on year. Yes. We know that. And especially with newer players from China. But yes. it seems like you know, the more traditional car brands and companies are finally seeing some kind of resistance here. Exactly. And you see, like, when you, when you mention China, now China, everybody's moving to EV. Because why? The Chinese government has, has made it mandatory for as many Chinese car buyers to have EVs. Because why? Fuel prices are high. They are not a fuel-producing country. Plus... They've got all the manufacturing and everything to make EVs much more reasonable. That is why you can see them coming into new markets like Asia and Africa and South America and even uh, parts of Europe, which is carrying traditional car manufacturers because their cost of manufacturing is maybe as low as Tesla or maybe even lower, even though they're new into the market because they've gained a huge R&D foothold in China already. Now, the traditional car manufacturers that we mentioned earlier, they can't play with these guys. They, mm. You know, their cost of production is not similar. Mm. So you're going to see a lot of these Chinese brands coming very strongly into our part of the region. And this is what will scare the traditional car manufacturers. Another question. Will these Chinese brands make a big impact in Europe and uh, the US? In US, I think the politics will not allow it right now. Mm. But in Europe, you can already see it. BYD is gaining a lot of a lot of ground, a lot of ground weekly in different different markets in Europe. Mm. The news that is coming from Europe for BYD is just amazing. On top of that, Xping is moving very fast. Neo is moving very fast because the great advantage that Chinese car manufacturers have is Europe, apart from UK, is a left-hand drive market like China. Mm. So whatever they produce in China, they don't have to think about right-hand drive. The moment it's out in the market, Boom, put it on a ship and send it to, to Europe. Yeah. So, for example, Cherry, who's building new electric cars, they've already got a huge order bank just from Europe and South America. 
because both markets are left hand drive they already have existing dealers there selling their other cherry petrol driven models so it's easy for them to say okay now we want to bring in our electric cars let's do a little bit of r&d little bit of you know changes here and there maybe the tire the rim size maybe the cooling system you know because of the heat uh, the dust factor and all that those are all very small things they can you know they can they can work on it in in a couple of weeks bam put it on a ship and send it and this will make a big impact in the coming year right where we are at right now especially after the announcements by Ford and uh, Volkswagen respectively about suspending production uh, on some of their EV models. We've spoken about this topic a lot on this program where Tesla are leaps and bounds ahead of the curve, gaining major grounds in the market share for EVs that's forcing companies like Ford and Volkswagen to put a stop on them. This is all good for the consumer, you see? Mm. What is happening right now? Okay, maybe bad for for the business aspects of things maybe bad for shareholders of this company consumers like you and me we are going to get cheaper better cars coming out in the coming years so is it fair that we are assessing that the ev sales are slowing down in the western markets due to this then i think there's going to be a slow but fast moving pace over the next year from europe the whole ev movement is going to be in asia because why asians are hungry for EVs okay. but they're hungry for low price EVs also because of our currency exchange Indonesia Thailand Vietnam Malaysia we want EVs but we can't afford it forget about charging infrastructure we can charge at home so yeah. if you bring the prices down or or our salaries go up or our currency goes up the market will change at the end of the day we're still a very price sensitive market Correct. So that's the end of discussion for this time. Uh, EV sales in the Western markets and how it will reflect in our region as well with uh, the arrival of more and more Chinese EV brands as well as Tesla making headway in every part of the world. We'll be back with a used car guide on cruise control here on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9 is Cruise Control. I'm Ali Johan together with Daniel Fernandez from dsf.my. We're on to our last and final part of the show. How did you get an idea to do a used car guide of tonight's car, the Audi A3? Well, actually, you know, someone who reads my my used car reviews contacted me and said, "I'm looking at buying this Audi A3 second hand. Mm. Uh, could you do a review and give me your evaluation?" So I did a bit of research, um, went to a couple of used car dealers, friendly used car dealers, you know, mm. because some of them don't like me. <laughs> friendly <laughs> used car dealers, and one of them had an A3 uh, in his yard. He let me have a look at it. Uh, but it wasn't in very good condition uh, so i i did more research online and then what i found is actually basically a3 is at a great price point right now this car came out about 9 10 years ago mm. uh, that's the first generation now the generation that we are talking about is the second version simply because you can still get a loan for it now the earlier one you will not be able to get a loan so if you can't get a loan the buyer market is a bit tough right now also these cars are not very well looked after simply because the person who buys an Audi brand new is normally upper middle class or well to do okay mm-hmm. for the well to do is probably a third or fourth car in the house to go with their Range Rover and their Maserati and their Porsche you know <laughs> yes you know or maybe one electric car the Audi A3 will never be the the the, the primary car in the house now for the uh, above middle class person maybe that's one of the two cars in the house 
And you must understand, this is not a big car. The A4 is much bigger. The A3 is a small, compact car. It's about the size of uh, Gen 2, but it's a sedan. Okay. Yeah, so at the back, two people, very comfortable. Three people, a bit tight. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, like Audis from that era of seven, eight years ago, very simplistic interior. Very simple, small uh, center console screen. Very nice, dignified meter cluster, yeah. clear, legible. Everything feels solid. You know, knobs, uh, air convents, everything feels solid. Now, when I looked at a 10-year-old one, it was still solid, but the car was weathered on the outside. And the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm giving this long story about ownership is because most owners will sell on the fifth or sixth year, right? So if the first owner is sold on the fifth or sixth year, that is the premium owner. He paid the full price, which is 180, 200, 220, whichever model you're talking about. Mm. Now, the second owner by then would have bought it for maybe 90, 100, 110. And he would have got a seven-year loan probably. Now, that person might have been someone moving up from a Perdua or a Toyota or a Nissan or a Mazda or a Proton mm. who says, hey, I want to touch European car, you know? Right. You know, it's just like some of them who, who will stretch their budget to buy a second-hand BMW or Mercedes. So the Audi is in the same league. This, these are people who, who, some of them might be able to afford it, but some of them actually might not be able to afford it. So they buy it. And then they don't they don't realize that you know you know ownership of a car like this means slightly higher prices for spare parts you know slightly higher servicing costs yeah. yes you know you you can't say oh you know why is it so expensive it's a German car the the currency exchange doesn't allow you to get the euro parts here cheaper you know mm. and when you go to the workshop the workshop is a premium workshop he's not going to say oh you're the second owner so I have to give you a special price no he's going to charge you just like how he charged the first owner the minute you know? yeah the minute you drive in with a badge at the front they know. Exactly. That's when these cars start to deteriorate really badly because owners struggle with certain things. They start buying second-hand parts. They start skimping on servicing. They start skimping on the oil quality and everything else. So that's when you start having problems. And then when they reach the third owner, they're in bad shape. So that's why you see some of them in used car dealerships in bad shape. And that's why they're also cheap. So let's put all that aside. So we wanted to get a car for our reader which will still be coming from the first owner. Maybe he's given it to a used car dealer, but he's only had one owner. A car that came CBU brand new, not a recon car. Now, I would say almost 90% or 95% of the Audi A3 sedans that are in Malaysia all came from the dealership officially. Very few came in as grey import because the grey importers only brought in the high-spec version, the RS or the S-Line. So if you're looking at a 1.4 Audi A3, there's a 95% chance that it's going to be a local import, which is great. If it's a local import, you can be assured that the car was maintained at one of the big Audi dealerships, whether in Juru up north Mm. or in Satya Alam, or of course in Euromobile, which is the primary dealer for Audi. Mm. Now, if it's it's maintained in one of these locations, you can actually go in and talk to them and get some information on the car. They would have records. yeah, you can go to the after sales guy. I mean, you have to be nice to them, talk to them and say, listen, I'm buying this second-hand car, plate number XYZ. And uh, can you give me some details? You know, was it ever flooded? Did it come in for a lot of warranty claims? Now, it, it's information that will be very difficult to get, but you can get it. And it's important that you get this information because why these cars, if it was maintained throughout the dealership, then you know it's going to be a rock-solid purchase. Right, right. Now, if you can't get the information, you can ask the dealer who's selling to you to go and get information because he will be able to get it. Mm. And if he has it, it makes the sale a lot easier for him. 
because then he can show listen this car went to the dealership you know full service history you know mm. this car never was flooded this car blah 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 everything mm. now option number 2 is if you're getting the car from a private seller that means not a used car dealer because used car dealers will not let you take the car out to take it to the dealership for check you know unless you put a big deposit and this and that and it's very messy and a lot of people just shy away and walk away so it's it's best if you can find a person who's selling the car that way you know you're going to get an audi that's a well maintained b free from all nonsense and you'll have another 5 6 7 years of minimal trouble maintenance this audi of course after a few years you will have some things you need to look out for number 1 the audi a4 the audi a3 the audi a6 also their suvs the q5 q3 q7 are prone to engine block oil leaks after a high mileage drive what mileage are we talking about here Did some of them 90000 some of them 100000 right. some of them 150000 depending on how it's being used mm. now a lot of times it's because they've been driven very hard it's it's not like it's 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 you know splurting with oil it's just small leaks you no know, drops here drops there so one indication is if you go to to a used car dealer or someone's house when you move the car immediately check the ground and see whether there's an oil leak mm. Most used car dealers will be smart to clean the oil leak every day lah, you know? Unless the car is not being used at all. And then when someone comes and test drive, when they bring it back, they'll quickly clean it lah. But if you are allowed to take the car for test drive, when you bring it back, park it slightly in a different position and then later move it a little bit just to see whether... Because when, when, you, when you drive the car, it heats up, the engine block heats up, the oil will leak one drop, maybe two drops, you know? Mm-hmm. So at least you can see. Now, that doesn't mean that the car is... bad or whatever it just means that okay the mileage is high it means that when you take ownership of the car you got to immediately service it now with that also comes another issue of high carbon build up these engines this this new technology tfsi engines need to be driven and enjoyed a lot of times these cars are just driven in heavy traffic so a lot of carbon build up right so when you start up you get a little bit of black smoke if you open the cylinder head you'll get a little bit of black smoke this can be a problem so This is not a serious expensive problem it's just a problem which you'll notice in a car like this because this is a very high tech german car. Mm. The other problem is all the little hoses and everything else. Like all european cars check and see whether the hoses are slightly cracked you know maybe the the radiator hose is slightly maybe there might be a pinhole that is not just leaking a little bit of water. You don't want all this you don't want this engine to overheat. So if you take it for a test drive or if you start it and idle it for a little while when the temperature hits Uh, you know, operating temperature, you can see if there's a hissing noise or anything like that. That is a small indication that you might have to spend a bit of money. Now, getting parts for this car is not difficult at all. Mm. Because this engine is also shared with the Volkswagen Golf Mark 6 1.4. So because it's shared, getting parts is not a problem. Parts are not that expensive. You don't have to go to the official dealer if you don't want to. You can go to parts dealers. There's a lot of parts dealers around Klang Valley and other big cities that will get you all the parts you need. Yeah, and this kind of maintenance you would expect from any kind of uh, Audi. Well, you'll expect from any kind of coming from Europe, whether it's French, Italian, German, they're all about the same because of the, you know, the, the running, the, the the usage, you know. And these cars actually last a long time because like the Audi, the body is made out of uh, aluminium. So you, you're going to be a, be having a beautifully well-preserved car as long as it's never had an accident mm. for years to come. Now, being a 1.4, your road tax is 70 ringgit. No way. It's the price of a Myvi road tax. Yes, because it's 1.4. And yet, you have a 7-speed gearbox, S-Tronic. You've got 122 brake horsepower, 200 newton meters of torque. 
it'll do a top speed of 205 kilometers easily. Okay, That's all when it's new. Mm. Now, when you buy a car like this, I always tell people, if you're buying a second-hand car like this, why I say like this, these are, these are premium cars, okay? Now, no matter how well-maintained the car was, just at the back of your mind, think of this. Put aside 10% of the purchase price. So, if you bought the car for 60, put aside maybe $6,000. Mm. If you bought for 50, put aside five. You know, give or take a few thousand here and there. Mm. Now, why I'm asking you to put aside this money? Don't go into a used car purchase with nothing left in your bank. You know what I mean? Right. It, it's like this. If you go and buy a brand new car, say you bought a brand new Myvi or a brand new Proton for 50, 60, 70,000, whatever, you would need to put a down payment, you need to buy insurance, road tax, this, that, everything else. Then you don't have any maintenance to worry about because why the car is under warranty, it's got a service package, right? Yep. But the fact that you bought a used car Remember, it's used. No matter how well it was looked after, there'll be things that will go. Even if your mechanic has a look at it and says, dude, this car is a damn good buy. It's damn well looked after. Bang for your buck, buy it. He cannot tell you when the radiator is going to blow, you know? Mm. He can't tell you when hoses are going to go. Right. He can't tell you when the, the pulley is going to go. He can't tell you when the alternator is going to go, you know? The water pump. You, you, you don't know when all these things are going to go. Things like suspension, brakes, you know, the general engine, the gearbox. I mean, things like this, you know, when you go on a test drive, you can check. But there are certain things that you, you don't know when it's going to go. Mm. So that little bit of money, that 10% or 9% or 8% that I asked you to put aside is, in the next one year, if any of these things happen to go, you are not stuck not being able to pay for maintenance. And I see this with a lot of young people and also some, some, some mature people. And what happens? The car sits in the workshop for three months, four months, five months. The mechanic gets fed up. You know, you can't pay the bill. You know, your credit card is maxed out. And then, you know, you, you, you regret the whole purchase scenario, you know? Yeah, you're going to be less scratching your head about how to deal with these problems. Yes. So have that little bit of money. So if you have these problems, boom, you know you can pay for it 3000 4000 1000 2000 whatever. It's like when I buy a second-hand car, I always keep aside the money. Now, there have been times I spend much less and then at the end of the year, I say, okay, I can go on a short holiday because I've saved some money, mm. right? Mm -mm. Now, there have been times when I've spent slightly more. But you see, after I've spent that slightly more, the next few years, I'm in the clear because why? I've done all the preventive maintenance already. So it's give and take. Mm -mm. So just think about it. Go and look at uh, what's what's in, sitting in the classifieds right now. There's at least 50, 60 of these cars sitting in the used car classifieds because they're already six, seven years old. Most of the owners would have paid up their installment already and they've gone on to a brand new car. And the price ranges are? Well, I've seen 45,000, you get a pretty decent unit, uh, a plain Jane, maybe slightly higher mileage. Mm. You get a really good one. When I say a really good one, means you know he's got the original S-line body kit, slightly bigger rims, or maybe he's put on some quattro rims, uh, low mileage, full service history, for about 60,000 ringgit. Now that's about, you know, even 60,000 ringgit is about, you know, a 70% depreciation from its new price. That's 10% depreciation every year. That's That's good value, you know. And they are usually 2015, 2016 models. Correct. From 2015, 2016, 2017. Uh, 2017 might be slightly higher, but you know, these are these are published prices. I'm sure you can negotiate down because right now also, our used car market is starting to suffer a little bit. Right. Just finally, before we go, I also had a look at cars from about seven to eight years old on the classifieds with the same price range, right? about fifty to 60000 right. And we have other options, like for example, the BMW 316i, 1.6, mm. Mercedes-Benz C250, 1.8. Right. Um, right. So among just these three, Audi A3, Mercedes-Benz C250, and BMW 316i. 
Yeah, which would you choose? Now, you see, when you come to premium cars like this, you know, the person who wants a BMW generally will not look at an Audi. Same here. The person who's been looking at an Audi, like the person who, who contacted me, is not interested in the BMW. Because it's the logo, it's the design, it's the, the whole form and function. Right. Now, the BMW fanboy and the Audi fanboy, completely different. Now, when you talk about Mercedes-Benz, Mercedes-Benz, they have their own fan base. Now, you can, you can tweak a Mercedes customer, a potential customer, to look at a BMW and Audi. You can tweak them. You can tweak them. But at some point, they'll say, I want to go back. <laughs> so, the comparing of this should be done more like, is this the car for you or a Lexus IS250? Okay? Because they're about, you know, they're about the same kind of rationale to purchase, you mm -hmm, know? Mm -hmm. Or you might say, oh, should I buy this or a Volvo S60? When you talk to the guy who likes the BMW, you bring any of these other vehicles in the equation, eh, the conversation will go sideways. These are not brands that stand equally with each other. Exactly, exactly. They all have their own fan base. They all have their own, you know, the design language is all very different. And I think that's what put, uh, puts Audi uh, uh, in its own space, you know, because they, yes. they, they are really quite in incomparable to others. Correct. And quite interesting to know that, you know, they share the same uh, specs as the Volkswagen because, you know, from the same family and all of that. Illuminating insights there. Thank you so much, Daniel, for this uh, used car tip on the Audi A3 1.4 TFSI. You're welcome. So, folks, th that neatly rounds up our program for today. If you uh, miss any part of the program, you can check back our podcast that's available on our app, uh, available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. I've been Ali Johan together with Daniel Fernandez signing off for Cruise Control, BFM 89.9. listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.